The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop cracking your crab and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 433 with guest Phil Hack, recorded live Monday, March 30th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD in our TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now... The man whose Uncle Teddy was just kicked off the Alcatraz swim team. Carl Franklin. Thank you. Thank you very much. And welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here for your listening pleasure. Hey, Richard, what's happening, man? Things are good, man. I'm maybe six weeks away from going back home, finally getting my house finished. You're still in your rental, right? I still am. We're going to have to uh, post some pictures when this thing is done. Are you still going to have your housewarming party and try to invite uh, Alt- Alton Brown? Uh, that's one of the thoughts. I, I I think we've come to the conclusion we're going to be doing housewarming parties every weekend for about two months. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, not much going on here um, musically. Um, still working on some mixes. I, I, I actually figured I would go and put the quiz show online from show 200. You remember that? Yeah, that was 200 and something shows ago. Yeah, we did a, it was 2006, October, and we had uh, me and Richard here in the studio, Rory, Mark Dunn, Mark Miller, and Jeff, and we did the 64-bit question uh, where they answered questions, trivia questions about .NET Rocks, and then we gave the listeners uh, swag if they if they got it right. It was kind of fun. It's about a half an hour, and uh, I'm going to put that up on my blog, intellectualhedonism.com. And uh, we'll maybe have a link in the show to it, too. It's kind of funny. We did it on video. I forgot you videotaped all that? Yeah, that's what I'm putting up. Okay. Yeah. So I've totally a... forgotten you videotaped it. Right. Yeah, we sh- we published it as the show, and then we actually did it on camera, too, and I've just been sitting on it. So, bad Carl. But anyway, that's <laughs> up there now. Let's get into Better Know Framework. <laughs> all right. Better Know Framework is this little uh, section we do on the show where every week I shine a little light in some dark and dingy corner of the .NET Framework just to tell you what's out there. It's not training. It's just uh, 
for your understanding. If you really want to understand what's going on, you got to check out the documentation, the samples. So we've been doing a whole series on uh, WPF controls. Uh, well, system.windows.controls, that namespace, which covers both Silverlight and WPF. And today I'm talking about the spell check class, which provides real-time spell checking functionality to text editing controls, including a text box and a rich text box. Wow, I didn't know we had that. You didn't know we had a spell checker in WPF? No, no, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, let's see if it applies to Silverlight. I don't know if it does or not, actually. Doesn't tell me that. I bet he no. Well, you never know. You never know. Uh, the dot, it says the .NET framework and .NET Compact framework do not support all versions of every platform for a list of supported types, blah, blah, blah. I guess I could follow that link, but uh, I won't waste your time. Just check it out. The spell check class. Know it, love it, learn it. It's there. Check it out. Richard, awesome. you got an email. I do indeed. And uh, this is an email from Roger Pence. And the subject is, there are other .NET languages. Carl and Richard, I just wow. listened to your great discussion with Michael Ford. I now know what my next little late-night project is. Iron Python sounds very interesting. During the interview, you guys dismissed, sort of, the original promise of Microsoft to have multiple, i.e. not VB and C Sharp, languages available for .NET. You rightly mentioned Fujitsu Cobol. Those guys have worked very hard to build a great .NET language. But we have it too! ANSA, that's A-S-N-A, ANSA.com, has sold Visual RPG for .NET. Oh, my God. Since 2003. RPG! Visual RPG? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Wow. Let me keep reading. AVR compiles directly to MSIL and isn't nearly as silly as I know it surely sounds. <laughs> We've got customers around the world that have more than a million end users on our .NET to IBM AS400 database technology. We're a charter member of Microsoft's Visual Studio Industry Partner Program and have worked very hard to provide both a great .NET compile as well as the language service necessary to integrate the languages with Visual Studio and to be able to offer Visual Studio features such as IntelliSense, for example. Ah. He included a snippet of AVR. That's the language. Syntactically, we're not far from Visual Basic, but you'll notice that there are RPG idioms sprinkled throughout. The language is used to create great Windows and web apps. We also use it as a target language to convert existing AS400 System 1 legacy green screen RPG to its native MSIL Equivalent. I was going to say, that's a mainframe language, right? Well, AS400 was a mini computer. It's not as big as Oh, it's an AS400. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we actually have one of those, but it's a fridge now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Let me finish poor old Rogers even here. So throw the oddballs like us a bone. As your interview with Michael proved, the world doesn't revolve entirely around Visual Basic and C Sharp. Thanks for such a great show. I learn from you guys every week. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Roger Pence. Roger, dude, we got to do a show on on Visual RPG. I no mean, way! Just, Come on, both listeners would love it. <laughs> but I think there's an interesting angle on this whole idea of migration of integration. Like we just got to, I think we got to sort of surface the story. There's just other ways to do this. I remember programming an RPG. All right, we'll take a vote. Maybe if you want to send in your yay or nay by email, let us know whether you really want to hear a show on RPG. And hey, maybe Cobalt.net too. We'll just throw them all in there. 
Yeah, why, why not? not? Maybe we've got to do about the other languages, not just the new languages, you know, recent implements, sure. but get back to that original, you know, uh, MSIL idea. Okay, well, you know, there's just a, a little bit of time left for Microsoft Tech Days. Um, as a matter of fact, tomorrow isn't no, this is Tech Days is Wednesday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, tomorrow is Microsoft's virtual Tech Days, and you still have uh, time to register. It's free. Basically, it's a 24-hour virtual event that's happening online, and uh, there's over 95 sessions in in uh, a whole bunch of different languages. It's going to happen simultaneously all over the world. Some of the sessions you'll see, uh, ASP.NET, MVC, Separation of Concerns and Unit Testing with uh, Steve Michelotti. Kathy Malone's talking about green IT and a down economy. Kyle Bailey is talking about implementing a brownfield application and in-depth MVC. Jason Bach is doing maintaining resilient code using tools from Microsoft DevLab and research sites. Demetrius uh, Papa Dimitriou is doing WCF file transfer progress indication. That's really cool stuff. Automating yeah. task and other productivity improvements in WPF with Ken Spencer. Todd Anglin from Telerix doing cranking ASP.NET performance to 11. Nice. Gil Clearin is doing Microsoft Silverlight applications, need data, and here's how to get it, and how WPF and data binding are best friends. And Claudio LaSalle is doing using the composite application guidance for Windows Presentation Foundation. Some really good stuff. And, you know, just go and register and, and get into it. It's at msfttechdays.com. Uh, the other announcement that I have, Richard, is our friends at Infusion are still looking for serious, kick-ass SharePoint developers, people who want to get trained in SharePoint or they're already experts in SharePoint, uh, to work in in London, in uh, over overseas, in Dubai, in New York, in Canada. They're just all over the place. So if you're interested in that, uh, there are still jobs available out there. Send me your resume or just send me an email, carl at franklins.net, and I will hook you up with them. Awesome. Yeah. So our guest today is Phil Hack. As a code junkie, Phil loves to craft software. Not only does he enjoy writing software, he enjoys writing about software and software management on his blog, hacked.com. That's H-A-A-C-K-E-D. Phil's day job consists of working as a program manager with the ASP.NET team at Microsoft, primarily working on the ASP.NET uh, MVC project, Model View Controller project. By night, he fights crime by working on subtext, an open source blog engine. Don't ask how working on a blog engine combats crime. It's complicated. And uh, Phil, welcome. Hi, gentlemen. I promise not to ask you that, but now I kind of know. <laughs> it's tempting, though. It's hard to help yourself, right? Okay. Well, uh, how's it going? going well. Just uh, still recovering from uh, Mix and releasing MVC. Yeah, so so tell us about that. Tell us what happened, what you guys did at Mix. So at Mix, uh, Scott Guthrie announced the, the release of ASP.NET MVC version 1.0 uh, after uh, almost two years of development or a year and a half. We've uh, finally come out with a final RTM of it. Uh, or RTW, depending on how you count, so released to web. And uh, this has been the culmination of, um, I believe this is our 
tenth release of this product, if you count all our right. previews and CTPs and whatever you want to call them, betas and release candidates. Now, and you guys were making changes the whole time, and some of those were breaking changes, but I really like, and we were talking about this, Richard, I really like the fact that you made the changes and that you had such great input from the community. What were some of the, you know, if somebody hasn't seen uh, MVC lately, what, is it, what does it look like in the final version? Is it very similar to what we already had? Were there features that uh, got added along the way or taken out, challenges? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on how early you took a look at it. Uh, you know, for those who built sites using Preview 2 way back when, uh, the change to Preview 3 was a pretty drastic change. We, uh, uh, we used to have action methods which would directly render their views, but now we changed the model to action methods return a what we call an action result, such as returning a view result. And we let the framework handle that stuff for you. Yeah. Uh, more recent changes were we added in a uh, uh, some helpers for combating C-surf uh, attacks or cross-site request forgery. Uh, I, I showed a demonstration of how that attack works at uh, my mix talk, which you can find online as well. And uh, more the more recent changes uh, as we got closer and closer to RTW, uh, a lot of the changes were focus more on the tooling side of things and less on the runtime. So changes from mm. beta to RC to RTM uh, were very, very minimal with the in the runtime, but that's where a lot of the, the cool tooling stuff really started to ramp up, such as the T4 template integration. Okay. So in the, uh, the URL uh, parsing is still still the same as it was. That's a very cool feature. I, I find that a lot of people want to use that uh, URL, you know, the what, what's the official name of that feature? Routing. Yeah, URL routing. Yeah. But a lot of people want to use that even if they don't use the other features of it. I mean, that seems like it would just be a great feature for ASP.NET. With or well, without and in fact, it is. It's part of uh, ASP.NET 3.5 SP1. So we actually, uh, early on, we realized that the routing feature uh, didn't need to be specific to MVC, so yeah. we put it in its own assembly, and it uh, uh, was incorporated into ASP.NET, uh, the the core ASP.NET framework. Yeah. Uh, in .ASP.NET 4.0, you'll see uh, one thing we didn't get to in that is actually building a, a route handlers for web forms, but in uh, ASP.NET 4 4.0, you'll see web form routing uh, become a first class feature. Uh, if you want to use routing with Webforms now, it's not too difficult. I, I've written a blog post on it, and um, that blog post kind of served as sort of the sample or, or template for this feature in 4.0. So you've written a lot of blog posts. I'm looking at them on the MVC site, which is ASP. Um, www.asp.net slash MVC, um, probably using that routing feature. <laughs> And uh, you also have everything you wanted to know about MVC and MVP, but were afraid to ask. MVP, Model View Presenter. There's a, you know, the MVC and MVP get thrown around a little bit, and it, they, there are subtle differences. Can you um, tell us what those are? Sure. Uh, so I, I go into it in a little more detail in the blog post, but uh, the, the primary difference is who handles user input. And uh, MVP, for example, tends to work really well with uh, rich client component-based uh, presentation layers. Uh, for example, in the Windows form, uh, 
when you click on a button, uh, there's not some centralized controller that handles that in- input. What happens is that the button itself uh, handles the input, raises an event, and then uh, you 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 handle that event in your code. And uh, when you apply the MVP pattern to a Windows form, you would uh, you would then forward that button click event to the presenter and say, "Presenter, I want you to handle this." With the MVC pattern, it's a little different. There's a centralized controller that uh, or set of controllers that handles all input, and this kind of fits really well with web applications because when you click on a button or a link in a, in a browser, uh, what really happens is that that just forms an HTTP request that comes into the server. And from the server side, all we see is, oh, here's a request. And with web forms, you know, we hook it up so that a, the button itself would, would actually be given that request and it would raise its event. With MDC, what we do is that that uh, incoming request gets routed to a controller and a method on the controller, and that method then handles the request. So all the events so, are handled in a central place in the controller. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or all the, all the uh, incoming requests, right? right? Right. So there's no so rather than uh, faking up a .NET uh, event based on incoming requests, you you more directly handle the the incoming H. Request. Which is really sort of how the HTTP protocol works anyway. I mean, when we were doing CGI applications back in the day, that's what you were doing. You were reading the URL, and whatever happened based on that, you know, your code would fork and branch out that way. Yep. Yeah, and you could do that even with the without MVC by simply implementing custom HTTP handlers and imp- implementing the process request method. Right. Uh, Obviously, MVC makes it a little nicer in that you can directly map URLs to methods and, and only have to implement the methods, and we can do a lot more for you. It seems that this is a, a really f- familiar pattern, things that are going on in the .NET world, that, that things are getting deconstructed. And one of the one you know, no, patterns are in, in the way handling is done is getting deconstructed. And one of the reasons for the success of languages like Visual Basic and technologies like ASP.NET is the abstraction away from that sort of manual blank slate request processing and dispatching of messages and things like that. And, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is that sort of model that we have in ASP.NET 1.0 is really maybe responsible for for the wild success of ASP.NET as a platform or partly, you know, majorly responsible for it. And now that it's popular, there's, uh, you know, we're sort of getting back to basics and people that want to get a little more control and get down to the metal. Is that, you know, it's not just me. I mean, that's sort of going on in, in the Windows Forms space, too, and in WPF and in, in just about every aspect of .NET programming. That's interesting. I, yeah, WPF, I think, still maintains the abstraction that, uh, you know, it's not. It's not quite like you're handling, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Win, win, Windows messaging yeah. or anything like that. You know, right. you still get the uh, events and all that. Uh, and you know, once it, I, I'm not too familiar with WPS and and all that. With MVC, I think one of the the things is that we're we're not getting rid of web forms, and web forms is sort of the model on top of ASP.NET. One of the things I made clear in my talk is that ASP.NET is 
greater than web forms, it's greater than MVC. Uh, we look at MVC and WebForms as being sort of the presentation layer on top of the core ASP.NET framework. Now, uh, with WebForms, it's a great model for doing event-based, control-based development, um, especially if you have uh, existing controls that do exactly what you want. You can put them together uh, really quickly and, and get an app, a uh, nice app up and running. And it provides a nice, uh, you know, especially for someone who came from VB, uh, you know, web uh, WinForm development in Visual Basic, the model is very similar to that. But there's a whole generation or a whole class of developers who really understand and get web development and who aren't actually used to, um, you know, client development, uh, who right. maybe never even done client development. Right. And I think for those developers, uh, the MVC model kind of uh, fits really nicely. And mm. You know, there is still a level of abstraction going on, but the abstraction is a little different. We're not trying yep. to pre- pre- present a uh, client stateful model at all. We're trying to present abstractions where requests get mapped to methods instead of to control events. Right. And uh, uh, so you, you do get a lot of the benefits of, of some level of abstraction, but we're just trying to make sure that the abstraction fits uh, really nicely with this model of development. I mean, one story I like to tell is that, uh, you know, when I first started programming, it was just simple client development with, uh, you know, basic and C and C++. And then when I became a web developer, it was a tough transition in that I always wondered, where's my state? Uh, you know, I set this variable and then I click the button and then the, the variable is no longer initialized to that value. And so this is kind of that, then one day you have the aha moment where, oh, yeah, it really is, that's what stateless means. It means that right. on every request, somehow I have to restore the state of the application, uh, you know, for the user. And then years later, I was trying to write a WinForm app, uh, you know, simple little WinForm app, and I'd click buttons and stuff, and I was like, why is my state sticking around? Right. I want the state <laughs> to go away when I click a button, right? I, you know, I, I don't have to go and clear out all these variables. So it, it just kind of depends how you look at things. <laughs> um, this guy, Reenskog, Reenskog, how do you pronounce his name? The guy who invented uh, the MVC pattern? I don't know, but I'm going to Norway in June, so I'll ask around. <laughs> hey, we're all going to Norway in June. That's right. Oh, you guys going for the NDC? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sweet. I'll be there. So um, I'm reading your post about everything you want to know about MVC and MVP, but we're afraid to ask again. And uh, you were talking on, on the MVC heading. You are talking about the you, – you linked to the original papers from this guy, Reenskaug. Reenskaug. I don't know how to pronounce it. Who invented the pattern, which is kind of cool. And then for MVP, you go on to say that um, – Recently, Martin Fowler suggested retiring the MVP pattern, the model view presenter, in favor of two variants, supervising controller and passive view. What's that all about? Well, I think one of the things that Fowler realized is that there's sort of two ways to populate the view, and one of the most popular ways is to use data binding syntax, right? So I drag a grid, and then I bind it to some object, and then it just populates itself. So in that regard, there's a little bit of behavior in the view. The, the controller or the presenter, in this case, will supply the data, but um, it allows for uh, data binding to actually populate the actual view object. Whereas passive view, 
takes a different approach where the view is completely passive in that it won't even use data binding at all. Instead, uh, the presenter would actually have to physically populate whatever um, objects are in the view. So the views would each perhaps present an interface, and then um, the presenter would call methods on that to set all the values of it. So I, I think they're both uh, just two sides of the same coin, though, in that the overall pattern is still very MVP. It's it's interesting. All these patterns are very subtle in the way they're different. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, in terms of supervising a passive view, a lot of times it's just a matter of preferences. Uh, a lot of these patterns come out from just looking at how people actually build applications. And you, you look at enough applications, you realize everybody has their own flavor of how they attack common problems. And so there's a lot of similarity in how we att- how we solve common problems. But there's also a lot of, you know, slight variances, and that's where you get these subtle differences in, in patterns. Yeah. And a lot of it is, you know, based on context. Uh, MVC was a great pattern uh, as MVP, MVP came along because uh, what applications started using uh, a lot more component-oriented architectures for the presentation. So it wouldn't make sense for a button to have its, you know, Windows message have to be handled by controller when the button itself can handle that. So yeah. that sort of thing. And there's an interesting side of this that technology is not necessarily obsoleting patterns, but may creating better manifestations of that pattern because we've got a more robust technology to work with. Yeah, I, I think in many cases, uh, some some patterns almost do become obsolete in the sense that the physical implementation that people are used to might not apply as much, but the pattern itself often remains. Uh, one one example is with dynamic languages, you know, without the static typing, some of the original, you know, gang of four design patterns uh, kind of work around issues with static typing where you might not need to worry about those so much with a dynamic language. Uh, one common case is uh, that, you know, I think people are really starting to do a lot more thinking about is what are the new patterns if you're using a dynamic language, uh, how do patterns change? So, uh, you know, some languages, for example, have support for singleton built in, but singleton is still a pattern, but you may not, you may never have to implement it. Whereas, uh, you know, dependency injection containers uh, are slightly less relevant in a dynamic language because you can always override anything uh, with a dynamic language. Uh, you don't need to specify an interface and then have classes implement that interface. Uh, use, you know, duct typing instead. Right. Yeah. So there's two distinctly different points here, I think. One is this idea that uh, there are patterns out there that in some ways are really built around dealing with constraints of language. And so when you get rid of those language constraints, you don't have that problem anymore. And the other side is that the, the sort of known implementations of a pattern become less relevant as uh, as technology evolves and we come up with better implementations. Right. Yeah. To that second point, it's a lot like uh, sometimes languages realize that this is such a common problem. You know, patterns solve a common design problem that people run into over and over again. And uh, languages or tools or whatever will start to say, you know what, why don't we just incorporate a good solution to that within the app? You know, I still think it's, it's important for developers to understand the patterns because when you use, let's say, a language has a singleton keyword or something of that sort, you really want to understand why you would use it, what, is, what problem is it solving. Because there's still, the, in many cases, there's still that 
uh, initial design problem. You're trying to, uh, you know, decouple your design and make it less coupled. You're trying to make it easier to change or uh, you're trying to, you know, enforce a constraint. So it's still important to understand those patterns, but they become easier and easier to implement those patterns. What's a, what's an action? <laughs> wow, that was a, that was a change. Uh, okay. Left field. Coming at you. Three, uh, 300, turning this team around 360 degrees. So uh, an action is a, um, it, it's, it's funny, it's like one of those words that's hard to find because it is what it is, right? An right. action is some task that you want to take. Uh, I think the terminology really comes from, if you think about a, a form, mm-hmm. you know, an HTML form, you say method, uh, you actually say action equals and you, you give it a, some URL. Right. So uh, in, in ASP.NET MVC, an action is a method on a controller, which is used to handle specific user input. So an example would be if I added a form to a page and I uh, give it a URL and I submit that URL, it will, it will call a specific method on my controller class. And, and that, that okay. method would be an action. So is it really the hooking up of a method to an intent or, or some, some part of a URL? Yeah, that's a good way, that's a good way of uh, describing it. Well, I'll, I'll give you a classic example. So uh, you might have a scenario where uh, you, you want to present an edit form and so you would go to the URL, let's say, you know, product slash edit. And then that will call, that will load up the product controller and call the edit method uh, or the edit action. So the idea is that your intent is you want to, you want to perform an edit. And then, uh, you, uh, when you submit that form, uh, you might submit it to, uh, another action method like update. And so the update is the, as you put it, as the intent of what you want to happen. And then these things, you know, these actions map directly. In, uh, by default, these ma- ma- actions map directly to a method on a controller class. Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. And when it comes to testing web applications, usually you have two options. Do it manually, which is hard and takes forever, or use automated testing software, which is quite expensive and rarely does a good job with modern Ajax applications. And all of this is destined to change with Telerik's new automated testing solution, WebUI Test Studio, which promises to bring a new era of automated testing to the masses. The product is offered in partnership with Art of Test, the experts in quality assurance technologies. Telerik Web Test Studio is specialized for testing ASP.NET applications, especially ones with rich Ajax and client-side functionality. What's more, it's fully integrated in both Visual Studio Team Suite and Professional Edition, making it easy for developers and QA to collaborate. To top it off, the studio ships with special wrappers for the Telerik Ajax controls, which expose control-specific test actions. Web UI Test Studio is ready for the future, with Silverlight testing features coming soon. Check it out at telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Uh, all right, guys, we've dived into pretty meatily into sort of specific access to the MVC and so forth. But I'm, I'm feeling like I need to take a step back because I, just, I still talk to folks who don't know how all these bits fit together. That uh, it, this is not replacing ASP.NET. 
this is not there. I'm just trying to get the picture here. We this is just another method of building web apps. Uh, I guess the big sacrifice that most people see is no controls in the MVC world. Yep. You mean no designer, Richard? Well, certainly there's no designer, but there's not controls per se either, right? There's not controls in the traditional way you would think about them with web forms. Uh, Because if you look at, let's say I want to grab a uh, grid control or whatever from one of the vendors, and you drag it on the page, and that control is responsible not only for the UI, the presentation, but it also is responsible for handling user input and handling, uh, you know, binding to a model. And so because we've separated things out, that's not the general approach you would take. Uh, we don't have the concept of controls that handle, you know, both uh, the, the view and the controller so um, what you do see, though, is with MDC is a, uh, in common is a move towards more client-side controls. So uh, I have a demo that I'll try to be posting to my blog soon about using uh, jQuery Grid. And uh, it's a uh, grid control, you know, lowercase control or however you want to call it, where you um, reference it in, in your view, and it re- uses JavaScript to render out a nice-looking grid, and then it makes the asynchronous AJAX calls to an action method uh, in your controller, which will then just return back uh, JSON data. And so by doing that, you get a lot of the benefits of reusability that controls provided, but you're still following the uh, more or less the MVC model of things. Wow, that's a mm. cool approach. And this yeah. is really getting back to this idea that with stuff like jQuery, JavaScript becomes a lot less evil. Yeah, and a lot <laughs> more fun. A lot more fun. Yeah, and so one of the things that we're very excited about is that we are uh, one of the first pro- products at Microsoft to include uh, in, into a, a framework product include a, an open source library uh, such as jQuery, and uh, and uh, now our users get get it in there can use it. Uh, we provide uh, support, so if you have a you know support contract, you can call up uh, Microsoft Product Support and get help with the using jQuery in an ASP.NET application. Which is, and it's totally cool to me that you're supporting a library you don't own. <laughs> yeah, I think it scared a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> internally or externally? Uh, probably internally in terms of, wow, we have to learn this and we have no control and we have to uh, sort of embrace the fact that we, we don't have control over jQuery. We have no uh, intention of uh, forking it. So, if they take it in a direction that we don't necessarily like, then, you know, we're kind of, that's just the way it is, right? Uh, well, however, but, yeah, we've, we've talked a lot with John Resig about uh, this, and we really like what they've done, and we re- really like the direction they have been headed, so we, we don't anticipate any problems. But it's just, uh, I think it is an unusual position in that uh, usually we only like this, uh, and, and this is my assumption, uh, you know, obviously, I haven't been here all that long. So, but usually, we only like to. Uh, just speaking as a general person, I only like to support things I wrote because I have control over it. So, yeah, it is kind of a interesting uh, approach. Well, jQuery certainly makes your life easier, doesn't it? And the developers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much in there that you know. I'm I'm sure we thought about implementing ourselves, like CSS selectors. And when you look at this jQuery library and how well they've done that, you just have to take a step back and say, you know, why should we go and recreate something out there that 
that's already there and is really, really awesome and is uh, considered by many to be, you know, the the standard in doing CSS selection type JavaScript. So, you know, I'm 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 personally really glad that we uh, took this approach rather than trying to implement our own uh, library like that. I think it shows a lot of forethought. I applaud the choice. I'm shocked you made it. I can't point, irrespective of Microsoft, how many companies out there support products they didn't write? Hmm. I mean, it's just, it's a totally anomalous thing to do, but I'm, I'm glad you did. And it's well, just, not, to me, not it's necessarily not an open source community, right? I mean, some companies have made a business out of this. Uh, Red Hat didn't write Linux, but they certainly support it in the sense that you can buy support contracts from that. Right. So I, I think, I think what it is is that it's not common for uh, proprietary, or uh, not proprietary, what's the word I'm looking for, for commercial companies to do it. But you see it more and more in the open source community where a commercial company will provide support contracts for an open source product because, you know, they can provide a level of support above and beyond what you get from the, the uh, forums and news groups at large. Yeah. Now, it may well be very different for Microsoft to do this, you know. I, it also depends on the product, right? I mean, something that is, yeah. you, you know, the, what's coming to mind is the criticism Microsoft got over the entity framework, you know, from from people who said, why do we need yet another one of these when, in, in fact, the entity framework proved to be a critical piece of architecture for a lot of Microsoft products, whereas something like jQuery is more like I see it as just a, a, a tool that's a standard that, that everybody's using, so... You you really need to support it, and it do, it isn't going to play a role outside the browser, really, as far as I can tell. Right? Yeah, jQuery is is relatively easy in in terms of providing support and including it, right? Because we we for example, we don't have any runtime dependencies on jQuery. Uh, none of our JavaScript right. libraries actually reference jQuery at this point uh, in time. So, you know, for for many people. If, it's it's just a content file that's part of the template. Uh, what'll get more interesting down the road is uh, you know whether we start to leverage it more or if we're going to include jQuery, uh, you know, third-party libraries. And these are all questions I don't know. These are just things that come to mind when I think about like what is the future of uh, jQuery and ASP.NET? Are we going to you know do more with it? Uh, you know, build build libraries that are on top of it. And uh, you know, there's there's Definitely a, a lot of cool stuff we can uh, do now that we can assume that, you know, within within an MVC project that uh, jQuery is on the box. So does ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET AJAX work really well together? I mean, um, I mean, we've been talking about jQuery and there's some AJAX stuff sort of encapsulated in there. But what about the ASP.NET AJAX library? Do they work well together? Yeah, absolutely. Uh are, we have some a couple built-in helper methods that you call to, uh, which rely on Microsoft AJAX to do their work. Uh, for example, AJAX.actionLink and AJAX.beginForm. And so they handle kind of two two of the, two very common scenarios where you want to have a form submission happen asynchronously. You would use the uh, beginForm AJAX helper method. And we render out, you know, the, the right clients of code and you don't have to worry about it. And we uh, handle, like, partial updates and that sort of thing. Uh, and what's great is that you can 
mix and mingle the two. Um, I have some demos where I use the AJAX helper method from MVC, which uses Microsoft AJAX to, to you know, create a to-do list, and it does AJAX posts. But on the successful, you know, creation of a new item, I actually call into a jQuery method to do the really flashy, you know, um, where it flashes in yellow and then and then fades out to a white background. Uh, the the kind of effect you you, you know see a lot in in these uh, AJAX heavy websites. So you know, getting the two to work together is not a problem at all. Yeah, uh, that's good. What about T four templates? What about them? So how do these fit into the uh, MVC world? What is a T4 template anyway? Yeah, maybe we start at the beginning. What are T4 templates? So back in, I think, Visual Studio 2005, there's a feature in there that almost nobody knew about because it's not well documented in the sense that uh, you don't even see it when you go to file, new, add item. There's no template for the template, ironically. <laughs> ah. uh, so... Uh, what, if you go into Visual Studio right now and add a file and give it a .tt extension, uh, you've just created a, a code generation template. And you can use less than pound instead of less than percent. And it becomes kind of like using classic ASP to generate code. So, um, you know, if you go in there less than pound, you know, for uh, int i equals zero, blah, 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 and just print, you know, less than pound equal, which is kind of like response out right, uh, you know, I, and then you'll notice that by default there will be a .cs file of the same name as your template file, and it will right then and there, uh, you know, run the template and produce an output. So it's a really cool uh, code generation feature that not many people realize that's even there and already built into Visual Studio. What we've done with ASP.NET is that we have these, uh, we, we create our own T4 host, so Visual Studio is a host, but you can also create your own host so that you can supply uh, your own values to it, right, to give it more context about what the user is doing. And what we've done is uh, we have this add view dialog. So I'm a MVC developer. I add a controller class, and I'm writing my action method uh, to edit a product. And then I can hit a keyboard shortcut or right-click and select add view, and that will bring up a dialog. And I can select uh, what model object I want to edit, so I might select my product class and the list of, you know, classes in my project, and then I can select what kind of template I want. Uh, I want an edit template or a, a details template or a list template. When I select the edit template and hit OK, it will uh, run one of our T4 templates to generate the edit view of that uh, object. So it'll iterate through all the properties, uh, and then it will create a, a nice, you know, quick and dirty edit form for that object. And what's really cool about the way we've integrated T4 templates is that uh, we install them into a known location. You can go in there and you can edit those templates or create your own templates. Uh, for example, you can copy the edit, uh, name it something else, and then go and change that. And the next time you invoke the add view dialog, you'll see your own uh, edit template in there. Uh, not only that, you can copy the templates into your project and have uh, per-project templates that work. So, you know, over time, we want to make a lot of improvements to uh, these these templates and maybe even add a, a couple more. But what's great is that right now, if you're using those templates, you can incorporate, for example, company standards or per-project standards into the template. 
uh, have the templates generate code the way you like to generate them. And, and they're a nice means of kickstarting, uh, you know, development of a view or a controller. It's, yeah, it seems to me that this is a, a great tooling ingredient to making MVC less of that blank canvas, that you have all these bits you can put together, it, it make it very quick to get something up and running. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a lot of fun to use these templates and then to go tweak them to, to do things the way I really like to do them. Uh, yeah, and, and the point is that the, these templates are intended to sort of quickly get you, help you get in the right direction. Uh, you know, you just generate them and, and then you, you take the generated output and then that, you start working on that. Uh, this isn't the type of generation where you, you know, you never want to look at what's generated and then you work somewhere else. These, these are really just meant to help kickstart development. Yeah, it's almost a kind of, uh, of inheritance. You know, you just want to yeah, give me the piece and I can go in and edit it. I don't want to try and reuse it, uh, reuse per se. It's, it's it, it, Actually, you know what? We work this way anyway, don't we? You always take an existing app and grab the chunks that you liked and, and glue them in. It's just a better infrastructure for that. View source, baby. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the, so, you know, one of the diff, the reason I mentioned that about kickstarting is that there's a, another approach you could take is, well, what happens when I add a new property to product. Well, you could rerun the T4 template, but if you made any changes to that file, you're going to lose them. Uh, dynamic data, for example, takes a different approach where if you add a new property to product, it will, you know, it, it's a runtime code generation, so to speak, and it will, you know, reflect that into whatever uh, scaffold that you have. So um, this is kind of, you know, more compile time code generation or, or, you know, development time right. uh, code generation. So that, that, that's the main difference. So, you know, dynamic data is something that, you know, is really great when, you know, you want it all runtime and you want it to dynamic, you want your UI to dynamically update itself based on what properties are available. And the dynamic data uh, features, do they connect to MVC at all? I've always thought that they were much more the traditional ASP.NET uh, tooling. Yeah, currently the dynamic data is a, a web form feature. However, we are doing a lot of investigation and bringing some of that stuff over to MVC. And we're still trying to figure out what's the sweet spot. Um, one of the things I demoed at Mix was a prototype of a, a data annotation model binder. And what that is, that dyna dynamic data is more than just uh, scaffolding and, and UI generation. It's also uh, this concept of uh, doing validation based on metadata that's attached to your model object. So uh, we that part fits really nicely with MVC. And the yeah. way it works is you you add these attributes to your object, such as required, uh, you know, range, uh, string length, and then uh, when you do a form post, we'll look at those attributes and do validation of the income incoming input against those attributes. And uh, you know, I, I say attributes, but uh, the, the goal is that eventually that, you know, it's really just metadata. The only way you can use it currently is to use, well, that's not true. The, the common way to use it right now is to use attributes on your model, but, you know, you can write uh, your own custom attribute provider. Uh, we'll probably be coming out with other attribute providers, so you can actually put those attributes in another location, such as, in the database and, and some formatted file, whatever. 
You know, we we, we missed uh, one of the really important features of MVC and one of the reasons why people like to use it, which is test-driven development and testability. Um, for by separating the concerns so cleanly, that you're able to test code in in uh, on ASP.NET websites uh, much easier than you would be otherwise. Yep, uh, that's a, that's been a huge focus of uh, the MVC framework is to really uh, enable test-driven development, uh, writing unit tests that don't require uh, writing true unit tests which are not integration tests. So. Right. You know, you can write integration tests, you know, as well, of course, but the, the goal here is to make it so that you don't need to run a web server in order to write unit tests of, of your application logic. And so, um, you know, it's not to say that web forms are not testable. Uh, you know, you can follow, if you follow the MVP pattern, you certainly can do testing. But uh, we, you know, with the MVC framework, we made testing sort of a first-class concern so there's a little bit less friction when you're doing TDD with an MDC application. It's just uh, you know everything is is uh, everything is is very extensible, so it's really easy to uh, you know fake out the pieces you don't care about, so that you can test the piece that you do care about. And it's not yeah. that you have to do TDD to take advantage of the testability of MVC. Anybody who likes building test suites around their code is going to appreciate this. Yeah, absolutely. So TDD to me sets the high bar in terms of if a TDD developer is happy doing, uh, you know, test driven development, then someone who writes unit tests after the fact is also going, going to be happy. But, uh, the, the converse is not necessarily true, right? If you only target, let's say, the guy who writes unit tests at the very end of the project, uh, the TDD developer might not be as happy. Right. Uh, and in part, that's because, you know, TDD is really a design activity. It's a way of designing your code by writing code sample examples and then implementing the code to meet these examples or these specifications, uh, uh, you know, specifications in code. Uh, so that's, that, that has a very uh, high discipline, um, high, uh, high demands in terms of how uh, the framework is designed in terms of, in terms of being able to to support that workflow. Hey, you know, we were talking about jQuery, and I ran across recently a blog post by Scott Guthrie where he tells you how to enable jQuery IntelliSense in Visual Studio 2008. How cool is uh, that? Yeah. That's uh, at shrinkster.com slash 150H. 150, not 0, 150H. Shrinkster.com, by the way, we haven't really talked about that in a while. It's a like a tiny URL kind of uh, thing that shrinks down big URLs into a database. It's something that we run here at Pwop Studios now. Shrinkster, S-H-R-I-N-K-S-T-E-R. Every once in a while I get an email saying, I'm trying to figure out Shrinkster, Shrinkster. You know, it's like well, they, can't un- yeah, they can't understand what I'm saying. So there you go, shrinkster.com, 15OH, and uh, jQuery IntelliSense in 2008. Very cool. Yeah, so with the MVC, uh, with MVC for example, we included a, a dash VS doc file, uh, .js. So that's a, uh, basically it's just a jQuery API with a bunch of comments in there. And then uh, Visual Studio, when you apply this hotfix, Visual Studio will look at that the, for the corresponding VS doc file and then give you IntelliSense support for the object. 
And in fact, if you go to the jQuery downloads page, uh, they now host RVS doc file right there. So this is something that is, you know, there's been some cross-pollination there. Awesome. This is all great stuff. And of course, just by using MBC doesn't mean that you can't use the ASP.NET membership or any of those other great features in ASP.NET. Um, I think, like we said, I mean, you're bringing it back to what you said at the beginning of the show, Phil, is, you know, if you're used to, if, you, if you're not, you know, a, a Windows developer coming to the web, if you are a web developer, you're, this is the way web developers think, basically. You get a request, you want to dispatch that request and uh, in a, from a central location. It's great stuff. It's a much more familiar approach. Yeah. Do you do you have any numbers in terms of downloads uh, of how many people have downloaded this? Uh, you know what? I don't. I don't know how many people have downloaded uh, RTM. I mean, it's only been out like a week or two. Right. Uh, but I think if you go to coplex.com/aspnet, uh, we. You can see the stats for how many people have downloaded. Let's see. I wonder if we can get NBC specific. Uh, you can see a spike in our downloads of our source code <laughs> on the day we released, so which was like March 18th, roughly. Okay. Um, so that gives you okay. some sense of uh, just how many people are interested in the source code. So, for example. Uh, so far, 1,808 people have downloaded our source code uh, for ASP.NET MVC, which we supply, which we provide on the Coplex site. But in terms of the actual MSI, uh, which is what most people will download, I'm not sure. Uh, one of the cool things, though, um, in part, is there's two ways to install MVC now. Uh, one is you could go to the download center, the typical way where you get the MSI and you double-click it, and then you find out you might not have all the dependencies that you need. For it, and then you have to go install the dependencies, and then you can install it. Or you can go get the web platform installer, which we often call WebPI, and, and that will uh, install MVC for you, and it will install any dependencies that you're missing uh, in order to get MVC. So it's a really cool way of installing not only MVC, but uh, other open source web applications. So uh, the, the web app gallery for, uh, that we have up now, for example, has both open source and free ASP.NET apps, and it also has free and open source uh, PHP apps. So you download this one tool, and it'll install not only the you know frameworks that you need, but it will install these applications that run on top of the frameworks, which is really cool. Very, very cool. As, as an aside, you guys should see if you can get Bill Staples to talk about the web app gallery and web PI, because that's some really cool stuff. Absolutely. So, Phil, we're just about down to the end of the show. Is there anything that we missed? Any, any shout-outs or, or uh, calls to action or anything else besides go download it? Hey, when are we getting MVC 2.0? <laughs> so after Mix, I took several days off, and I'm still recovering. And, and that's the first thing people are like, yeah, 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 1.0 is old news. It's already been out a few days. When's 2.0 coming out? Uh, Give me a new version. I, I don't. I, I haven't figured it, that out, but uh, <laughs> quite yet. I, I'm still like trying to, you know, climb this mountain of email that I need to get out from under. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully in the in the next few months, you'll see. Uh, you know, we'll start the the usual pattern of trying to release early and often, and put out more and more CTPs of ASP.NET MVC, so you guys can play around with the 
uh, it. What we do have, though, and I should point out, is uh, also on the CodePlex site that I pointed out, uh, along with the source code, we have the futures uh, assembly. And this is stuff where uh, sometimes when we're trying to think about uh, new features, we'll actually prototype them out and uh, put them in the futures assembly. So you can go there and see some of the ideas right now that we're thinking about for the next version of MVC. And there's also a roadmap uh, there that has some ideas. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm open for suggestions. And uh, I already have a list of things that probably would could keep us busy for the next five years, which, you know, I'll need to trim down to, you know, a reasonable amount of time for the next release. So, yeah, so uh, for calls of action, yeah, download it, try it out, let me know what you like and what you don't like. And, uh, you know, I... You know, I have to give. I guess if I was to give a shout out, it would be to the ASP.NBC community and and all those who've tried it out throughout our CTP phases, who've dealt with, uh, you know, some of the pain in 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 dealing with pre-release software, but in doing so, provided us uh, extremely valuable feedback. A lot, uh, you know, I, sometimes I will actually point to specific people and say, you know what, you're responsible for us making this change which made the product better. You know, I can often point to, like, specific emails or whatever. Uh, at Mix, for example, we ran into a guy who uh, sent us an email that pointed out a flaw in the design of routing, which caused us to have to actually almost completely rewrite it. So it, it was kind of funny, funny to meet him and, and uh, give him a hard time. But, no, no, but like, that's <laughs> the kind of stuff that we really appreciate because it's just like, we it's hard for us to run things in all scenarios and and to have people uh you know submit feedback it it's really impactful in terms of affecting how we change and improve the design of the product i think that was the thing we really hit, saw with the ctp is that uh, as as fans of the technology and of the idea we were influencing the product that we complained about things and argued about things and you actually took that and made a new version even if it made it challenging for us to take our project and move it to the new version you did it <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know I, I know there's we we didn't get to everybody's feedback and sometimes there's disagreements and stuff but we do consider everything and you know if there's a disagreement that's fine you know don't don't get frustrated keep keep providing feedback because in the most cases when we saw things that were really blocking users we really tried hard to uh fix them in a reasonable amount of time and you know at some point i mean there's more and more i i I wish we could have done but you know at some point we have to say you know what this is ready to go out the door let's get a release out and and we'll uh you know fix it in the next version hopefully awesome phil thanks very much it's always a pleasure talking to you and thanks for telling us all about it yeah you too guys all right we'll see you next time net rocks .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, 
at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a 